This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Scott W. And uh, unfortunately, Wayne is not going to be able to join us tonight. He's having uh, technical issues. He's actually having power outages, which is unfortunate. Uh, so obviously, the inability to record uh, is going to hinder him from being able to join us. So sorry you can't join us, Wayne. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully catch up with you next time. Uh, but in this episode, we are here to discuss uh, Dragon Marks and Dragon Marked Houses, uh, the role they play in the world, and of course, how you can use it in your campaigns, either as a GM or a player. Um, before we get started, I, I want to mention briefly uh, about the sort of scope and purpose of the show again. Um, I want to clarify that as a podcast, Manifest Zone, we're not we're not here to sort of repeat content that's available in the officially published sources. Um, they're, they're available. You can purchase those as PDFs or as physical copies. Um, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to substitute the, you know, basically the, the purpose of those books. Um, so if you're new to lore in general to Eberron as a setting, we do recommend that you go check out those books. Our intent for the show is to actually focus on how you can use the lore in your campaigns or for your characters and such. So, uh, so we just wanted to kind of clarify that one more time, um, for the audience and for any new listeners that are coming on board. So, uh, with that in mind, um, uh, as we kick off in the, Eberron, uh, uh, Sorry, as we kick off into talking about dragon marks, uh, Keith, you have a couple of articles on your blog on the Q and A uh, posts and such related to dragon marks. Do you want to talk a little bit about those and, and reference those? Sure, it's actually something where, frankly, I have uh, many, many. Q&As sort of related to dragon marks in general. If you just do a Google search where you say, you know, dragon marked house site, keithbaker.com, you can get a lot of just these sort of various questions. People have asked things like, well, how exactly does, you know, Jurassic work as, as, uh, you know, their medical practices, et cetera, et cetera, and all sorts of little things. However, there's two I'd call out in particular. One, uh, was just, is just called the dragon marked houses. And that is just a broader view, uh, of their role, what they do. And at the time, I think it was either just at the beginning of 5e or towards the end of 4e. So it was talking a little about how I dealt with dragon marks in different, uh, different editions. And the other one is a, is called, I think, just aberrant marks. And it goes into much more detail about aberrant marks. And we'll be talking about those today, but this basically certainly touches on a number of the points that we'll be talking about today in more depth. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And we'll make sure that those links uh, are in the show notes uh, for this episode as well. So, uh, so when we talk about the dragon marks, uh, we know a couple of things. Um, one of the key things I think that, that sometimes people overlook or forget is the fact that they are actually tied to the Draconic Prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are marks that manifested um, only in specific continents as well. Like they didn't they never manifested in Sarlona. They never manifested in Zendrik. Uh, for the elves, for example, they didn't manifest until they got to Aranol, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's a big important thing in my mind in terms of um, – how a player or even how a GM should be considering a character with a dragon mark, that this is somebody who has been touched, right? They're, they're touched by the prophecy, so to speak. And, and there's a couple ways to look at that too. Uh, the one is the idea that the character is specifically, you know, has a role to play and such. The other 
is that dragon marks are essentially almost like runes or tarot cards uh, where they are signifiers within Mm -hmm. the prophecy in a broad sense, the way sort of, um, you know, uh, I can't remember how to properly say this, or Nithromancer, you know, will look at birds and see the patterns of the prophecy in it. The idea is that someone who really understands the prophecy would look at an area and say, oh, we've got storm, uh, you know, making and hospitality there. That signifies this. Right. Uh, and so you've got both of those. But it's exactly as you said. It is tied to the prophecy and it has meaning. Right, right. Like, so, for example, like like you were mentioning, if there's like a certain collection of uh Maybe it's a density of dragon marks or particular dragon marks in an area or the combination of dragon marks in an area. There might I, be I think a density there. of dragon marks is now their collective noun, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. So um, do we want to talk a little bit about sort of the history of them as far as, you know, how they manifested and how it took a long time or um, – uh, I, can, I can jump in on that really quickly, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the thing is the idea that Mark's, you know, manifestations of the prophecy are something that have occurred in the world uh, sort of throughout history. This is how mm-hmm. the prophecy was first discovered by Hezcalipa and, uh, you know, Orion. Uh, and so there have been just sort of markings that appear in the world or patterns of, you know, wind or water or what have you. Uh, and that it was around 3,000 years ago that they first began appearing on people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something that was, again, it's a very curious event. Why did this happen? The dragons themselves essentially say, well, and also why humans, right. you know, of all things. Right. Um, and there are sort of theories, you know, crazy theories, like one possibility has been thrown out. Is it something the Dalkir did? As they sort of showed up, discovered, hey, this world has a prophecy. What can we do with that? And, you know, put it on to people. Another possibility is, again, it's a natural manifestation of the prophecy. The prophecy is evolving. But basically, the point is they did only appear starting around 3,000 years ago. They do only appear on certain bloodlines in certain places. And that uh, it's not... I think the point to me, as you were saying about the prophecies, it's not that this is just a random mutation. It is something that does have a meaning. And really, I think in a future episode, we'll probably want to talk about the prophecy itself and what that is and how it affects the world and how you can use it. Um, but it is the sense that something about the world is changing and evolving. Uh, and 3,000 years ago is a long time for us, but you know, in the grand history of the world, it's not that long. And so um, the marks also appeared over the course of time. So the most recent one, I think finding only appeared six or 700 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, you know, the Korovar, who are the half elves, you know, as again, a recognized sort of fully present race, haven't even been around that long. Uh, so this is something that is sort of happening within near history. Right, right, and uh, you know the idea that they that they can also manifest during times of stress, right? Like, um, so, go ahead. So, so that is the thing: is they appear on particular bloodlines. Right. It's not just one single family. So, when we talk about the houses, we say House Kenneth. Uh, House Kenneth is actually made up of around fourteen different bloodlines. It's that over the years. 
the families that have the marks sort of pulled together right. into to be a house. So first off, this means they're not completely inbred, as it were, because while they are breeding within the house, but they're doing it within, you know, they take care to say, well, now we'll marry a vone to a, you know, uh, sort of split it up. They don't just uh, marry their, you know, sisters, as it were. Um, and I had a point to that and I completely forget what it was now. Um, <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yes. Uh, but anyhow, I don't know. What was I saying? Well, 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 I was mentioning about the the, the idea that uh, for an individual, it can manifest during a time of stress. Oh, right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, no. So yeah, yeah. It is. It is the point that it um, it's on different families, and it doesn't appear on everybody. You right. know, basically, you aren't born with a dragon mark. Uh, you may never develop a dragon mark, but as you were saying, they can manifest in times of stress, especially in times related to what they do. And part of the idea is in addition to the spelling ability that the uh, mark gives you, they also generally just make you better at what the mark does. Finding right. is going to give you a bonus. And so part of the idea is that if it's stress, especially related to what it is, you've got to find something, your life depends on it. Well, maybe that could trigger the mark of finding. Right. And this leads us to, um, you know, the test of Sybaris, right? Which is is the idea that the houses actually have a formal test. Uh, you know, it's like a, a rite of is, passage. It's a rite of passage. It's different for every house. That is the sort of this is the thing that we hope will bring out the mark if you have it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. that's, Go ahead, Scott. I was saying, and that's that's. Part of the wonder of it, right, uh, to the mm -hmm. role-playing side of this is that those who manifest these marks, right, they are treated with – I mean there is there is an air of deference even in the writing. They're not nobles, but you can see where the nobles are either jealous of them, right, because you've mm -hmm. now got a mega corporation with unlimited power and money and ability. Um, and mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into that. And manifesting a mark, as you said, you know, you might have an orphan on the street who undergoes stress and is suddenly manifesting a dragon mark. And their entire world now changes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Absolutely. I, I imagine too for like, uh, let's say a player character, for example, in the middle of a campaign who doesn't already have a dragon mark, say at the start of, of play, mm -hmm. uh, but they're like, they, you know, the player might say, you know what, I want to get the dragon mark or maybe I want the Sybaris, you know, they, uh, I want right. to be an heir of Sybaris. Um, I think it's important to remember, well, there should be something that happens that causes that to manifest. You know? and, and this is definitely a... Um a critical point, again, of thinking of the marks is more than just their pure mechanical effect. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, from our perspective, it's I've gone up a level, I can take a feat, let's take a dragon mark. Right. But beyond that, you want to be thinking, as you said, in this case, well, what is it would trigger that mark? And in all likelihood, you know, what I would suggest in that sort of thing is if you want a dragon mark, aberrant or uh, normal – Talk to the game master about it and, and, you know, give them the opportunity to work something in mm -hmm. right. that can be where that happens. So don't just do it off camera. Oh, I, you know, did this. Well, you know, okay, you're going to hit fifth level. You want to take the mark at that point. Let's work this into the story so right. it feels natural. Right. So it's not just, oh, I leveled and I took this feat or exactly. something. Exactly. Like yeah. Right. And make it wonderful. You know, a lot of players want to hide it. No, it's 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 glorious. It's in your face. You know, it's this right. massive serpentine form on your body. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, 
Yeah, now you've got a you got a special building. A lot of players will stop there, right? Like, oh, okay, well, you know, now I can I can whisper to the wind and I can communicate over long distances. Yeah, yeah but and, you know, go ahead. No, no, and and, and that's exactly uh, the point to me in a number of ways. Of again, think of this as more than just the power it provides. Uh, you know, one of the things I've talked about with like Dragon Mark Sorcerers, for example, is the idea. Oh, that if you're going to play a storm sorcerer and you have the mark of storms, it may be that that really is the source of your power, that it is that you feel storms in a mm-hmm. way that other people don't. Right. Uh, likewise with the mark of finding, you know, the fact that, again, it gives you a bonus uh, to things. You, you want to think of it as you do just have this magical sort of sense that other people don't have. And yes, you can dramatically manifest it when you use the spell-like ability associated with your mark. But even when you're not using that, the power, you know, you have this power that most people don't have. And and you want to think about how that touches you. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, in uh, I'm going to relate this to Savage Worlds uh, mm-hmm. because um, there's a there's an edge called Danger Sense, which is essentially like Spidey Sense. Mm-hmm. And I was just now just now when you were talking about that, I'm thinking, oh, that would actually be really cool to somehow associate that with the Mark of Finding, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. that, that Sixth Sense sort of. Yeah. I think the, a, a good key for this too is don't if people think of the marks almost like. Uh, an Amerindian shamanic totem, right? You're not a storm. Mm-hmm. You are the storm, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you go to those links and you understand that, that mythology a little bit, it definitely will help out your role-playing aspects with a mark. No, absolutely. Um, a couple other things I just want to touch on, and you know, we'll, we'll get back for a moment, I think, to just let's talk about the marks themselves. Yeah. Uh, we're more focused when we uh, get to players. You know, is, again, the fact that the mark is more than just that spell-like ability. Right. As we've been saying, it is a matter, it is a thing that has a societal impact. Uh, it is a thing uh, that, you know, affects you on a sort of spiritual level. Uh, but it's also the case that it, uh, the spell-like abilities associated with the mark are their most obvious thing they do. <laughs> but the more important thing that they do is that they allow you to use dragon mark focus items right, right. and that uh the what gives the houses their economic you know power is their ability to offer services that no one can offer you know no one else can compete with uh whether it's the creation forges making war forged whether it's altars of resurrection though i have issues there uh and you know it's fly, piloting an airship and the point of these is, you know, looking again to the mark of scribing. A gnome with this mark can once per day, uh, you send a message via whispering wind. That's not that important. That's not going to really change the world. But they're also the only people who can operate speaking stones, which are how we get messages across the nations. Mm-hmm. And that does change the world. And that... Eberron is a place where we basically say you can't just make any magic item you want. Magic isn't like a science, you know, discovering new things, making a magic item no one's ever made before is basically like making, you know, a nuclear reactor no one's ever made before. And so it is, it lets you use tools no one else can use. And the houses are powerful because no one else has been able to figure out how to make tools 
that anybody can use. Right. Now, what if, what if, um, what if there's a scenario where say house Kenneth is like, you know what? We want to duplicate that ability. Mm-hmm. Like how does that, how in your mind, how would that play out among the houses? Like say among the 12 or, or whatever it might be. Well, the basic assumption to me for a start uh, in uh, one of the things I liked in fourth edition was the introduction of rituals and where a lot of non-combat magic was ritual magic. And one of the things that's in the, the link I were talking about, the, the article, is that when I did my fourth edition version of uh, Dragon Marks, I limited, you know, in my campaign, I limited a lot of rituals mm-hmm. to people with certain Dragon Marks. To do the cure disease ritual, you actually had to have the Dragon Marked of Healing. Makes and that special. was a way to really say that was the equivalent of sort of the dragon mark focus items, but basically saying this is really the point is only these people right. uh, can do this particular thing that, you know, the mark really has a serious power. Right. Um, and um, the point of that was saying that, oh, but the Arcane Congress is certainly trying to figure out how to make a ritual anyone can perform. You know, there are people trying to figure out, and you know, to me, the Arcane Congress is the big one of this is an organized people trying to figure out magic and they're trying to figure out, they, you know, the idea is that a lot of rituals we do have, we have because people said, well, that Dragonmark guy is doing something. Let me counter, you know, try and reverse engineer that, figure out how it's going. Yeah. Now, looking to... Kenneth in particular, to me, the whole point of the 12 is that the 12 is the United Nations of the houses. It's trying to keep them from stepping on each other's toes and uh, basically pissing each other off. Right. Um, And so if Kenneth said, we're going to make an airship anyone can fly, there'd be a lot of negotiations within the 12 basically saying, are you really want to, you know, are you really going to screw with us that way? You know, and, and they counter with, well, what if we do, you know, thing X, uh, certainly if the arcane Congress tries to figure out an airship, anybody can use, that's where the 12 together says, we really advise you to, to stop that research. Right. You know, you're really sorry about what happened to your factory two weeks from now. Right. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, it's unfortunate that you lost all of our services. You know? Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and, or that you would, you right. know, and, and right. this is a thing. So I think, you know, we've talked a bunch about the marks, talking more about the houses. Uh, you know, the whole point of the houses is that they offer services no one else can provide, mm-hmm. but they also, part of the idea, they've been around for over a thousand years in some cases. Mm-hmm. And part of the idea is that through their guilds, it's not simply uh, that they, you know, the house is more than just what the dragon marked heirs do. In addition to having creation forges and things like that, Kenneth also basically runs the main trade skill, uh, trade schools, right. uh, you know, teaches yeah. people how to use magecraft. And one of the main points is that they do a lot of, of basically licensed businesses. People were asking about Galanda, you know, how's that work with inns? And the point is it, they have the, um, the Gold Dragon Inn, which right. is, you know, sort of their equivalent of McDonald's almost, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's the, you always know when you go there, it's going to be exactly the same and you know right. exactly what you're getting. Uh, but also most just inns owned by anybody. 
uh, want to be licensed by Galanda because that's basically a thing that tells people we're meeting the standards they establish. You know that your food here, you know, it's it's the equivalent essentially of a health inspection. Um, and one of the things I've always said with Kenneth is they set the standards for quality of goods. And so the reason you have the equipment page in the player's handbook that says a long sword is 25 gold is because they've set that price. Right. And they've set that a long sword better be able to do 1d8 damage. Like right. that is the quality of a long sword. Right. And that essentially, if you go to an unlicensed smith, they might tell you the long sword's 30 gold pieces and it might only do 1d6 damage because it's a crappy long sword. So the point of all this is coming back to saying that in addition to denial of service, it really is the idea that the houses within the world, the, the reputation they carry matters. Right. You know, right. So a lot of people are just like, well, why doesn't someone else just do a business? And it's like it's essentially saying what if you know, it's, it's buying snake oil from a snake oil salesman as opposed to going to the supermarket and buying aspirin that you know has aspirin in it. Right. Uh, in in our this world, the dragon-marked houses are the things people trust, even if the houses themselves may be manipulative and what have you. And that's not to say that there could be some small, you know, mom-and-pop shop yeah. that does offer something. It's It's, you know... Uh, it's not going to be big enough that it'll take business away from the Dragon Mark houses. Like Chili's and TGI Fridays exist for a reason, right? Right. And and this is coming back to, you know, the whole point is that the houses are these big, powerful entities that, you know, they are the mega corporations, as we've said, and they dominate things. And the idea is that they do go to harsh, you know, take harsh measures to protect their monopolies. But that, like you said, mom and pop on the store, just, you know, feeding locals, yeah. Uh, that's not a threat to their monopoly. You know, right, a threat to right. their monopoly, you know, one guy having an airship that he can pilot by himself, that's not a problem. It's mm -hmm. someone saying, I'm going to mass produce airships that anybody can use and I'm going to set it up as a business. That right. person is going to have problems. Right. So before we get to dig deeper into Dragon Mark House, it's actually quasi related. Um, mm -hmm. We talked earlier about like, the role-playing aspect of manifesting a mark. Um, and then Scott, I know you had some ideas related to that as far as mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the, there's a sort of, uh, I guess, responsibility with it and, and such, and even just role-playing implications. Do you want to, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Um, well, we, you know, we touched on a little bit earlier, but yeah, that's the thing is, um, like I said, it, it's, 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 it's not something to hide and you definitely can use it. Um, if I bear a dragon mark, even the least mark, you know, that thing is going to be on my face or on my neck and you're going to be able to tell. So when I walk into someplace, you know, the conversation is going to start with, um, you know, essentially, do you know who I am? Right. right. And then we're going to go from there that I'm already at 10,000 foot from you and we're going to have a different conversation because you're going to do what I say because if you don't, right, the wrath of my house can come upon you. I can, you know, imagine being told you're now blacklisted from all healing sites, you're done. <laughs> right. And, and, and even if you have a Sybaris mark, it's, you're, you're not going to hide that. Right? Oh, no. And the Sybaris yeah. is even worse, right? Because they well, are. Sybaris, you can't hide it. Right. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's, all, it's your whole body. Like, yeah. And you the, are the, a walking the, dragon mark. You and know? you're a trophy for the house. If you bear the yeah. Sybaris mark, you, you're essentially done. You, you really don't have a life. Right. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna parade you around. The, the sense of pride that they have. Because even the, the heads of the houses 
they don't have the Sybaris marks, right? They, they, they don't have Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so I think, again, just, just speaking to that, really taking a step back yeah. and just uh, calling out that um, the, the houses are institutions that have been around for, in many cases, a thousand years, establishing the services that people are just used to, you know, healing, communication. Yeah creating things. And one of the main points is when Galifar existed, uh, you know, it was basically you had the houses and you had the United Kingdom and that could really sort of set rules or establish dominance over them. With Galifar torn apart, the individual nations aren't, you know, in some ways the, the balance of power has shifted and uh, the nations, um, you know, don't have the same authority. And so it almost reaches that point where we can question now, are the houses more powerful than the nobles right. of nations? Right. What's so to just, keep them in check, you know? And, <laughs> and just coming back to your point, Scott, the point is as an heir of the house, I have a certain pride because my institution is still here and stronger than ever. Right. If you see what I'm saying, then, you know, I am part of this thing, which is frankly bigger than your little country. Right. Hey, King Caius, we didn't lose the war. You might have noticed that. Yeah, exactly. And so that's Fair that's point. just what I'm saying is, if anything, the houses are prouder than ever and stronger than ever. Right. And that that is right. intentionally part of the sort of underlying foundation of Eberron in 998 yeah. is – the houses are stronger than ever. Galifar is falling apart. What happens? You know, basically when Galifar established the kingdom originally, they created what are called the Korth Edicts. And that set very clear limitations on the power of houses. They can't own land. They can't hold noble rank. You know, basically saying you have the power you have, but you can't also rule nations. You can't have armies except for Deneath. And... You know, there are these very clear restrictions. And part of the point is in the modern day, the houses are starting to test those. You know, Lirandar to a certain degree does have land uh, and an army. What are you going to do about it? Right. You Come know, here. and that this is a time where we're sort of saying, uh, you know, and it's, it's basically, as we've talked about in the earlier episodes, it's kind of a reflection of the real world of it saying, well, what is that question? How do you feel about the corporation that starts trying to be more powerful than a nation. Right. And, uh, and we, we talked about true dragon marks and Cerberus marks. Uh, Keith, I know you wanted to expand on aberrant marks, mostly because there's not a lot of coverage on those in the actual products themselves or in, in published resources. That That's certainly the thing to me is that the aberrant mark is something that has always been part of the world and has never really been developed. There was a whole chapter on it in the Sharn source book that ended up getting cut for space. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just as the dragon mark, as we've been saying, it is more than the mechanical ability, both in what it means to your character and how it happens and what it means in the world. The aberrant mark is the same way. The pure marks appeared, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, and they appeared very much on specific bloodlines, which then formed themselves into the houses and have ongoing power. You can't develop the mark of making unless you have a tie to a Kenneth bloodline. Aberrant marks 
basically are entirely unpredictable. They appear, you know, can appear on anyone, anywhere. Um, and the concept of the aberrant mark, first off again, is that it is unpredictable. There is no sort of, you have the mark of making, the mark of healing. There is no aberrant mark of fire. An <laughs> aberrant mark may give you the ability to produce flame and burn people and kill them. But if both I and Scott have an aberrant mark that does that, our marks may look completely different. Yeah. They may manifest in cosmetically different ways. And right. furthermore, his least mark gives burning hands. My least mark gives burning hands. But hey, once it evolves into the lesser mark, mine may have a totally different secondary ability than his does. You know, right. they're not the same thing. You couldn't form a house of a particular aberrant mark. The concept of aberrant marks is where the pure marks are primarily constructive. They heal, they create. Uh, they, you know, allow you to travel. Aberrant marks are dangerous. You know, they burn, they control minds, they, uh, you know, deal with vermin. Um, you know, that their powers are frightening fundamentally. But beyond that, the story of their role in the world is also that they are difficult to control and they are often, their power does come with a price whether it's physical or mental, that, you know, it takes a toll on the user. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the idea is they also manifest in times of stress, but, you know, that manifestation could be very dramatic and have serious consequences for people around you. If your mark is burning hands, odds are it manifests at some point when you're scared and, hey, a bunch of people are probably dead because of that. Right. And very X-Men-like, you know. Yeah. 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 And, and that's sort of the idea is that there's a lot of superstition around aberrant marks. And a lot of that is spread by the dragon marked houses back in the day. Mm -hmm. But the point is it works because there's an element of truth that aberrant marks are dangerous. They are hard to control. People with an aberrant mark are a danger to people around them. And as a player character, we're saying, okay, you've got your mark under control. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't have had, you know, the first time it manifested. Maybe you killed your friend. You know, it's something to think about is right. what has the mark meant to you? What has it, uh, you know, is it uncomfortable for you in some way? Does it, you know, is there a burden associated with it? And again, it's not a mechanical penalty, but it's still something that will make the character more interesting. Right. Some sort of biographical background type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So uh, I think, do, should we go ahead and dive into uh, Dragon Marked Houses, or do you think we've we've touched on that enough? Are there any other? I think we've, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on them. You know, I think the important thing to say is that each house is a sort of pillar of the economy in some way. You know, mm -hmm. they cover communication, transportation, both air, sea, and land. Um, you know, if you want mercenaries, they've got that covered. Finding things out, go to Fiorlin or Madani. Uh, you know, it's basically they cover these broad businesses and what they don't do specifically themselves, they often license. Uh, and so they set the standards uh, that people expect. And right. so they are just these incredibly powerful forces. And as we were talking about in the last episode, they're things nobody wants to be without. 
Nobody really wants to have Jurassic say, hey, you're not getting healed anymore, buddy. Right. right. Um, and uh, as Scott was saying, you know, again, being part of a house is power. You know, it is sort of the equivalent of being nobility. Um, and you don't have to be part of a house to have the mark appear, but if it does appear, it means you have a blood connection to the house and the house will want to recruit you into it. Um, so again, it is an amazing, you know, it's that sort of, if you develop a mark, that means you just found out something about yourself and who was that ancestor and what is your connection? And that's an interesting thing to explore. Uh, other stuff that too, you want to add in about that? Well, so you mentioned House Tricanon, like it's not a single, it's not a house of one particular type of aberrant mark because there is no one type of aberrant mark. Um, but what does Tarkanon mean as a, as a house, right? It's because it's not officially so, recognized by the 12, but it is right. a thing, right? So folks, you know, who may not have heard about it, House Tarkanon is something that evolved in uh, the last couple of decades, and it is technically the aberrant house. Uh, it evolved because, and, and this is a big thing, is the idea is that aberrant marks used to appear more often. And I should have mentioned the one reliable way to get an aberrant mark is to mix the blood of two dragon marked houses. Right. Uh, and so that's a sort of formal rule. Dragon marked houses don't mix. If they do, there's an excellent chance of producing an aberrant mark. In those cases, we refer to that as a mixed mark. They're the same thing. It's just a mixed mark is an aberrant mark produced in this way. Um, and so uh, it's something that's been strongly discouraged. It's also one reason that aberrant mark can appear so randomly is because, well, you didn't realize that these two people had were tied to bloodlines. Back in the day... Um, there were very powerful aberrant marks out there, and the houses, both as a scapegoat, something to draw people, you know, as a way of limiting this other source of power, uh, the dragon marked houses really turned people against aberrant marks. This culminated in the War of the Mark, which was essentially a big sort of extermination that wiped out most people with aberrant marks. Right. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, bigger story there, but. Uh, but the point is, we then did have, through most of the history of Galifar, aberrant marks were relatively rare, and when they appeared, they were generally just the least mark. Uh, so they were around, and in some ways, appearing rarely meant that people could be more superstitious about them. Mm -hmm. You know, they could be, oh, he's got an aberrant mark. Um, and it is, but then within the last couple of decades, the last century, aberrant marks had begun appearing more often and developing again to greater levels of power. We haven't seen uh, sort of called out very many of what are, you know, called Kyber marks, you know, the equivalent of the Sibiris marks, the most powerful marks, but they could be appearing soon. They could be appearing on your player character. Right. Right. Um, so in the War of the Mark, you had these few very powerful aberrant, uh, you know, with Kyber marks uh, who were leaders of the, the organization and the main sort of general, if you will, of the War of the Mark was Halastar Cannon. Um, and it was he who tried to sort of really organize an active resistance against what was being done. So first off, the name comes from him, but the house uh, got its start when 
uh, Braylon during the war, essentially the uh, King Citadel created a sort of unit of uh, aberrant marked operatives, you know, and basically said, okay, let's, let's get our own sort of wet works uh, aberrant force. Mm-hmm. And they basically went uh, rogue afterwards. You know, they were being, you know, sort of almost like the suicide squad, if you will. And they basically said, well, screw this. Uh, we're starting our own thing. And right. basically trying to be a haven for aberrants who are often persecuted uh, because of superstition and fear. Um, so to a certain degree, you know, going back to the X-Men analogy, you know, it's the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, if you will. Um, but again, with that idea that we're bending together for the common good. Um, and, you know, basically doing what we can to protect ourselves. Now, mostly they do do sort of dabble in organized crime, do assassinations, things like that, because they have the powers that help with that. Right. Um, but, but it is this idea they're not a, a sort of house that's recognized in a friendly manner the way the others are. And again, their powers are incredibly diverse, you know, right. but it is that this is a sort of force that is building. And the idea as a fourth edition, in third edition, their leader was um, uh, Thora, and and she was one of the, you know, the leaders of the, the unit created in Brayland. And, you know, she's basically an assassin, and she's sort right. of just trying to keep people... She's doing what she can to just help aberrants, keep them alive, give them a safe place. With fourth edition, we introduced the concept of the son of Kyber, Mm -hmm. uh, who is a more of a, if you will, Magneto figure, you know, has a a more powerful mark and is basically trying to organize the house to really do something. And that's up to the, the game master if you want to take that or not, as, you know, having them actually sort of acting with more of a, a purpose. And of course, one of my novels is The Son of Kyber. Right. Uh, and sort of that's a way you could go with that. Again, in Eberron, the novels are not canon. You could take a totally different interpretation of that. But if you want a sort of glimpse into House Tarkanon uh, and things you could do with it, they appear both in The City of Towers, uh, which is my first novel, and The Son of Kyber. It's really all about House Tarkanon. I, I might submit my own speaking stone question about the son of Kyber because I, in three five, I only knew of uh, Thor Tavern, and mm-hmm. then when I when I finally got a copy of the four ebook, uh, I see son of Kyber. I'm like, well, this is new, <laughs> so uh, I might ask you about and, that in the speaking stone. And, yeah. and, and the whole point of the son of Kyber is the idea that he is new, that yeah. like you know he literally has appeared this year right. and sort of come in and sort of taken over from Thor, and Thor is still there. Right. And again, if you're going to play with that, one of the things you can explore is, is this something she approves of or yeah. is there a power struggle, a power struggle or, within, yeah. Yeah. you know, again, the book, uh, you know, the novel presents a way you could go with this and an identity for the son of Kyber. But again, you could totally do something different with that if you wanted. Yeah. And, and the last note I'll just say on Everett Marks, again, we're talking about them and is this idea that. In the War of the Mark, you had Halas Tarkanon, you had the Lady of the Plague, you had the Dreambreaker, and that these were all people who both had Sybaris-level uh, aberrant marks, right. and also they had focus items. You know, they had items that were designed to enhance their marks. And so, you know, Halas Tarkanon could bring down a building with his mark. You know, the Lady of the Plague laid out, you know, her death curse still affects Sharn today a thousand years later. 
And so it is sort of saying that aberrant marks have reached levels of power that no one today has, mm-hmm. but that that doesn't mean no one's going to. And, right. you know, finding their artifacts or figuring out how to make new aberrant focus items, you know, these are big things that you could use as basis of a, a venture. And, and just to be specific, an aberrant focus item is, uh, you know, is that still going to be a, a Sybaris shard driven item? Yes. Or do you see uh, that well, as yeah, being- I would see probably a Kyber shard just go. because, hey, Kyber. Thematic. Yeah. And yeah. it's slightly, that's slightly adjacent to the fact that Kyber shards are usually all about binding. Binding, right. But I'd still probably do it and just say, hey, it's a weird twist because, again, we are saying that the aberrant marks do have a closer to connection to Kyber. And it's just for whatever reason, the Kyber shard is the one that can amplify that power. Right. Right. Makes sense. Cool. Uh, so uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll just throw out one random detail. I think it's available online somewhere if you poke around long enough. I wrote a module for the Mark of Heroes campaign, the RPGA campaign called the Delirium Stone. And in the Delirium Stone, it's basically a, you know, as your adventurers are going about their stuff, you basically have this whole psychic flashback where you're thrown back into the, one of the final battles of the War of the Mark and sort of get to experience that and see how that was going. And so, again, for people curious about the War of the Mark, that's one of the better sources at the moment to get a sense of what that was like. Very nice. Cool. So let's go ahead and dive into um, how GMs can use Dragon Marks and Dragon Marked Houses. I mean, we talked a little bit about that already, but let's really dive into it, I guess. Uh, So, you know, we know obviously there's going to be you know, sources of intrigue, right? We talked about that even just within House Tarkanon. Uh, there might be some power struggles there or something. Um, but just as a general resource uh, for cam- campaign momentum through their services, patronage, you know, uh, Shadows of the Lost War is a really good example of that um, with Lady E. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even just general support, um, but also potential conflict, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. I've been yammering for a while. Scott, you want to uh, jump in on this? Um, yeah, it's just it, – this is where you really get to shine when you're dealing with the dragon-marked houses. I mean the littlest thing can set off a grand uh, campaign for you. Um, I would think of – so I look at the dragon-marked heirs as a good starter point is someone kills a dragon-marked heir. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's not going to go unpunished. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, in the '80s, the narcos, right, in South America, they killed one DE agent, and America taught them a lesson that they will never kill another DE agent. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that's a critical point. Just just spinning off of that, of again, the houses aren't part of a nation or a government. You know, right. they are their own thing. You know, so essentially. Technically, they have to play by the rules, you know, uh, because there are laws, but they're not their laws. So, yeah, you know, like you said, they're going to do what they what they want to do, you know, and it is that, uh, you know, again, they won't play by the rules. Right. Yeah, I I think that ties in really well. Uh, And Scott, you you might want to talk about this because I know Wayne had some ideas uh, related to. Uh, the mega corporations concept. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so yeah, and that's where the houses really do fit in. It's if, if you really do think of that concept of, you know, here's Walmart and everyone who's special in Walmart bears a Walmart tattoo and can do really cool Walmart things. And they run the universe around the Walmart concept. Um, 
and sometimes Walmart needs something that, you know, uh, I don't know, like Smith and Wesson has. And so you, you can use that house to house intrigue and you can recruit uh, deniable assets, i.e. your player characters and say, hey, here's the deal. We kind of got these edicts in place <laughs> and they prevent us from doing some open hostilities and we have gentlemen agreements that reach across the aisle uh, when we meet and we shake hands and whatnot. But uh, yeah, we would really like to see what House Kenneth has brewing in this little tiny hidden mm-hmm. warehouse mm-hmm. factory somewhere. Why don't you go check that out for us and bring us back some some, some data? Yeah, I think that's a, a perfect example. And again, I think you really hit the note of, okay, the houses via the 12, you know, the purposes of the 12, one of the main purposes is to foster cooperation, you know, letting them create things they couldn't create alone, like the point of Kunderic's, uh vault network, which mm-hmm. is a huge part of their power. That's a creation of the 12. It's something that took uh, Orion, it took Kenneth, you know, all working together to make this thing happen. Right. Uh, and it certainly wants to discourage conflict and such. Uh, so openly, you know, they don't, you know, Kenneth doesn't want to send a big team to do something with the Deneath, uh, facility, but well, they can hire you guys to do that, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, that's a great point is that, uh, player characters are this perfect. We are a neutral force that even if technically they have operatives who could accomplish this, they don't want to use their own operatives. Right. Got no trace. I mean, essentially it's a shadow run, which everyone yeah. again is a perfect world for, a different genre of play. And you can even go as low as the guilds because they have their sponsored guilds. You could have an upstart guild very well who says, you know what, we're going to, we're, we're, we're taking you on Tinkerer's Guild. We're going to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and furthermore, you know, we already have established that there are houses who have sort of large scale gripes with one another. You know, Denith and Thrashk have always had issues. <laughs> um, Fiorlin and Thirani, of course, you know, are, yeah. have big issues. Uh, and what they've sort of done is said, well, we'll just sort of carve up the map and say, eh, you guys really get to do whatever you want in Karnath and Lazar and we're taking, uh, you know, the, the West, but still there's rivalries and tensions. And then a number of the houses, you know, Kenneth, Civis, you know, have their own just internal rivalries. So far, you know, even there, you can even just say there is a particular Kenneth heir who's basically like, I want to know what the other guy, you know, what my cousin right. is doing, or I right. want to throw a wrench into his works or stuff they like that. Perfect for that. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you got. Three rulers of House Kenneth. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we'll look at the the first adventure in the back of the Eberron campaign setting. You know, mm-hmm. the Forgotten Forge. Lady Ladrian is, uh, she's kind of, you know, saying she's with this one particular faction, but she's actually working for. I don't want to spoil it right, for right. another. Right. Yeah. But you know, she's but she's recruiting. Yeah, she's recruiting the PCs. Yeah. So she's recruiting these PCs who don't know better. You know, mm-hmm. and and you know that's that's. That's, and, that's a perfect example. And, and you know, it is basically the point is they're powerful organizations that have a lot of money uh, that are not sort of bound by the laws and rules of nations mm-hmm. and that have a lot of use for, so to speak, disposable people uh, who don't hurt their reputations if they get caught. Right. And so whether you're getting caught up in their wars with each other, in their struggles to, you know, uh, squash potential rivals, uh, you know, this is the other point of the Aurum, of the Aurum 
uh, to a large degree is basically unmarked people and you know right. unmarked wealthy people saying we're kind of pissed off about the power the dragon marked houses have we want that degree of power what yeah. can we do to get it yeah and uh so that's another point is you know uh, you can be hired by people who want you to mess with the dragon marked houses <laughs> or furthermore you can just have things where the houses need something you know you were saying oh they need something from another house but it could also just be well we're looking for this particularly rare cypress shard or we're looking for some people to help us you know with this operation in this particular place um or you know another example that comes back to shadows of the last war you know, you can also just have things like, let's just take um, Resident Evil. You know, well, what do you know? Something's gone horribly wrong in this Vidalis. Uh, Vidalis and Jurasco were working together on this great regeneration serum. And that's gone terribly wrong. And uh, we want you to go in there and eliminate it because we don't want it to be associated with us. That's you perfect. Know? Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that is also a big point is to think about, you know, because of the 12, you can have places where houses are working together to try and do things that don't quite fit there. So, like I said, I totally see a Resident Evil thing being a, a joint vidalis uh, Jurasco combination. And what do you know? It goes terribly wrong. You know, and I want to bring that back to earlier about when we talked about the Draconic Prophecy, because mm-hmm. that could also be a symbolic gesture as well, like, or not gesture, uh, a symbolic uh sign yes and a, uh, a, an event with prophetic uh, significance exactly exactly so you know you might you, some of those player characters might actually be dragon marked themselves and so we see them coming together uh that that means something you know there's some there's an event occurring you know? and furthermore when it comes to dragon marked players you know if you have a dragon marked player character that's where again going back to that shadow run analogy that is the okay you, you know they can be pushing to you as Look, son, you know, you're part of our house. Mm-hmm. We need you to do this. You're going to, you know, you're running with your shady little crew of, of adventurers, but, you know, we've got something we need you to do and we need you to use these, these friends to accomplish it. Um, the other thing in the fact of player characters being unique, uh, is, you know, you also go to the mark of death with Arandis Fall. I was going to mention the point that. is that her mark is basically an evolution beyond what the mark of death normally could do. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly the kind of thing where if a player is interested in that concept, you know, you can say things like, well, maybe your mark is going to be more than, uh, than, you know, just a, even a Sybaris mark, you know, maybe you are, you are somehow the next evolution or something could happen, or you could develop a mark in a way that no one has. I mean, you know, you can think about what would happen if, um, you know, the player de- developed a, a, you know, I can't remember what I called them before. I think we were calling them apex marks, you know, just again, a mark that is somehow above uh, the Sybaris mark. And what would that do? And the last time we've seen that, of course, was with Arandis. And there it was specifically because they were breeding, you know, half dragons. Right. But again, what happens if someone develops something beyond that? You know, last time it happened, we eradicated the entire line. You know, so I mean, there's lots of interesting things you can do with that. Um, Well, you can even have like if a GM is is willing to put in the work of of creating what the mark of death had been, maybe a player character developed it all of a sudden. 
Yeah. Well, and that's obvious. And the easy thing is, yeah. is that is, is a plot hook of someone developing the mark of death. You know, there's all sorts of stuff you can do with that. And just briefly touching on the mark of death. And that's another one that I think I have a whole blog post just about the mark of death. Uh, but it is noting that, that the mark of death, it was a true dragon mark. And right. what that means is its power was again more constructive than destructive. The mark of death was not about killing people. It was about interacting with the dead. Right. So its powers like speak with dead, animate right. dead. Uh, and Arandus's mark, on the other hand, is an apex mark again. Well, that could be, you know, far more dramatic, raising armies of dead, you know, can, uh, all sorts of things like that. But I'm just saying uh, developing the mark of death is a great, you know, what's going to happen is everybody, you know, are the dragons going to come after you or the elves going to come after you? Do you even know what your mark is going to do? Uh, but I would just say that again, to me, the mark of death is about things like speaking with the dead or interacting with undead, not, uh, not just randomly killing people. That would be an aberrant mark. Right. Right. And, uh, I'll, I'll mention the Matt Forbeck series, yes. uh, as a, as a good inspiration for, yep. again, going back to not canon inspiration. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is also the big thing. One of the big problems people have with fourth edition and justifying, uh, is, the general concept that fourth edition just said anybody can have any mark. Yeah. And the thing is, that's what it said mechanically. Right. Uh, I certainly wrote in as strongly as I could because they really wanted to be there mechanically so that basically the feats were more useful to people. Mm-hmm. And I tried to emphasize as strongly as I could. Technically, this was is true. But that for someone to develop, you know, for a dragonborn to develop the mark of making, this is a historic thing that has never occurred before. And that essentially that has enormous prophetic uh, impact and, you know, impact to the character. And so I'm always of the idea that characters should be able to do things other people can't. But that's because that's going to be a story. You right. know, if if your story is you want to be the dwarf who develops the mark of making – then fine, but understand that that is the basis of a story. That is not a trivial thing. It is, you know, going to throw the house Kenneth into a panic, you know, and what are they going to do? Are they just going to try and kill you to make make it go away? Are they going to try and recruit you into the house? Who knows? You know, does this mean suddenly now a whole line of dwarves is going to appear with the mark of making? You know, basically, uh, you can change things as players and game masters. Just bear in mind that that's a story. That's not a yeah. trivial uh, detail. Uh, Eyes, of the, Eyes of the Lich Queen mm-hmm. uh, incorporates that concept. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, you know, even like a Warforged or a Changeling being able to, um, you know, to, to manifest a dragon mark. In that case, it was, you know, you learned this early on, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything. But in that case, it's, it's sort of a curse. But, and, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's story. It drives the story. And, and coming back to, to story hooks for characters, you know, so, uh, and, and sorry for yammering so much here, but you know, I mean, again, no, we love it <laughs> for, for the characters, you have everything Scott was, has been saying already is if you want to start with a dragon mark, then there is that question. Are you part of the house? What's your relationship right. to the house? Cause again, you could be a valued agent. 
Uh, you could be uh, a, a sort of uh, what we call foundlings, someone who developed the mark without an existing connection. And then the question is, do you know who your parents, you know, who your ancestors were who were part of the house? Are you willing to work with them because they're going to try and recruit you? Uh, and then, you know, the third common option is what's called the excoriate. And excoriates are people who have been expelled from the house for some sort of crime or something they've done. And again, if you go to... Uh, the Dreaming Dark novels, my series of novels, one of the first things that happens is one of the characters is excoriated and driven from the house. And, you know, that's a huge thing. Why did that happen? How does your character feel about that? Do you want to try and somehow get this lifted? Right. Um, so it's back to it can definitely be a part of the main story of your character. You know, what is your relationship with the house and what do you want it to be? Um on the other hand, if it develops during play, then you get everything uh, that Scott was saying where now that should be. Now these are questions you got to deal with in the moment. You know, how are you going to, to follow with that? And then the final point on that is aberrant marks. It's the same thing. If you started with an aberrant mark, then we really do want to say, how did you get it under control? Did anything bad happen before you did? Uh, how has it affected your relationships and things? If it happens during play, same thing. How do you feel about this? Are you completely in control of it? Or do you want to play with a game master? You know, I'd certainly be willing as a game master to say, we're going to have you have your aberrant mark, but, um, we're going to, uh, you know, say that I as game master can, can choose to activate that at inopportune times and exchange, I'll give you, you know, I'll make the saving throw harder or, you know, something like that, you know, sort of a little give and take. Uh, but, you know, I'll certainly say that uh, one of the campaigns that I played in for a long time as an Eberron character, we had two of the people in our party, including me, develop aberrant marks during play. And that, yes. like, we had been doing some work with the Dragon Mark Houses, and suddenly they didn't want anything to do with us. And, you know, sort of playing up the fear that people suddenly had of us and such. And it was very interesting. Do we join with Tarkanon? And, you know, what do we do? And so I'm saying that can be an interesting way of developing an aberrant mark, can be an interesting way to really sort of change things up for your character and be like, how do you suddenly deal with having this frankly frightening thing thrust upon you. Yeah, I want to add to that, but you covered it all. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I've been talking no, about no, this. No, no, Keith, nobody's going to complain about you talking about everyone. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't worry about it, man. It's all good. No, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, you know, aberrant marks have always been something that, that have intrigued me uh, because of the story component of it. And it's just so wide open and where you can go with it. Um, and, and I love the idea. You, you mentioned an idea about, uh, possibly, um, uh, the Del the, the dragon marks themselves being something that the Delkir might've created mm -hmm. to manipulate, um, and you know, the, the humanoid creatures, but then the aberrant marks, when you think about that, you know, being from mixed bloodlines, that's a perfect manifestation of that, of that experimentation. Yeah, and, that's, and that's certainly another, you know, the sort of easier possibility is just that uh, the marks existed and the Dalkir actually twisted them and created the aberrant marks. That right. certainly fits their whole sort of mode of operation. I like the idea that all the marks are yeah. just because it both 
oh, you think you've got this awesome blessing and then you discover it's actually basically Cthulhu just came along and, you know, poked at your thing and, and made this happen. Uh, but I also love the idea that basically for 100,000 years, the uh, the dragons and the fiends have been sort of playing this game of chess with the prophecy and that basically the Dalkir show up a couple thousand years ago and basically say, huh, this thing is interesting. What happens if we grab it and stick it on people? Uh, and just this idea that, you know, because they're so alien, they're just doing things that the dragons right. are like, wait, what? What did you just do? Right. <laughs> you know. Well, I like the idea of the dragons not even realizing that they did it. Well, sure, know, sure. No, like, absolutely. And I yeah. don't think it, it, in my view of things, they don't, you know, right. like, even right. if I embrace that that concept, it would be a huge revelation. And, you know, that's the thing that it would sort of change how, you know, if it comes out, what does that do to the reputation of the houses and such? If everybody, you know, we've been saying it's just the aberrants who are sort of twisted and whatever. What do we say if we're all tools of, you know, some yeah. weird alien force? Yeah. Um, or just the idea that even maybe the Delkira part of the Draconic Prophecy. Certainly. And, and that would be and the other way to say is when they came here, they got pulled into the, the yeah. web. As it were, right. again, the, the the prophecy. There's a lot more we could talk about there. So oh, yeah, like, let's sure. not get too too tied up into that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but I yeah. think we want to just sort of say we've been talking about this. You know, so from a game master perspective, you want to think of the houses as potential patrons. You mm -hmm. can think of them as potential enemies. You know, uh, you're doing something that's going to run you up against the interests of a house, and now they're uh, they're trying to hunt you down or just do something you don't want to do. You know, taking that point of uh, it could be that they're just doing something that is simply dangerous, you know, in pursuit of profit. That's your Resident Evil concept is, well, they were just trying to make something that would be a cool thing they could sell, and whoa, it got out of control. Or very easily, you know, the Kenneth... They were making a new kind of golem or they were making a new weapon. And what you know, you know, one of the uh, very simple explanations for the morning is that it was something Kenneth made that went horribly wrong. They were basically right. building an atom bomb and oops. Um, and so you can easily have the, you know, you've got the shadow run. They want you to get a thing. You can easily have the they've built a thing that they couldn't control. Uh, you've got the political interactions between them and the nations. You know, there's a bunch of sort of just intrigue and such all the way to just, well, they created a monster and they need you to stop it. Or it's a proving ground. They want to try their new creation uh, against a bunch of, of outsiders. So they've literally made a dungeon and they want to see if you can beat it. You know, I mean, lots of things like that. But I think we should move to uh, just again more concretely to players. Is there other stuff you want to talk about? about sort of how dragon marks can work for players and create interesting things. Um, I, I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier about, think about the background, the bio, biographical background for mm -hmm. a player. Um, if they start with, um, if they start play with a, with a dragon mark, uh, that's certainly important. What was that experience? You know, are, are they a part of a house? Are they not? Um, maybe they did know that uh, a former a uh, family member or, or sorry, uh, an ancestor was an excoriate, right? Mm -hmm. And so what's the implication now? You know, they've been, you know, their family has been outside of the house for so long. Now they're being brought back in, you know, who knows, right? Depending on the story. Uh, so I think, I think that's a key thing for a player to think about. Um, if they don't have a dragon mark yet, uh, you know, working with a GM, as we mentioned to create the story of how it manifests. Um, 
And, and I really want to pick up on that again for a moment is, is that's yeah. the point. Don't just think of this as, oh, my character could get this mechanical ability. Right. It's this will happen and change your character's relationship with the world. And the GM and, needs to think of that too. And the yes. GM needs to, and, and that's the point is the GM, you know, also, if you've got a cool idea, offer it to the player, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and this is the thing is I've certainly also had game masters who have basically said, I'm just going to give everybody a dragon mark as a bonus fee, uh, in start of play because I want to do a campaign where it's dragon marked house intrigue. And so I'm just going to tell you all, you are going to be, Tied to houses, think about what you want. You know, let's work with that. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying I do that as a standard thing, but I mean, that's the kind of thing you could do. Or you could even do that in play. Say, hey, Bob, I'm going to give you a dragon mark, but it's going to come with a bunch of crazy stuff that's going to happen as a result. Right. Are you into that? You know, um, well, you know, and I think there's a flip side to that. Like you could be part of a dragon marked house as a family member without actually having a dragon yes. mark too. That is a very big point. And, and I'm very glad you brought that up. You know, that's exactly right. Only about half of the, of dragon marked heirs actually ever developed the mark. Uh, and one of the points is if you don't have the mark, you know, it's back to if you're in house civis and you have the mark of scribing, well, you're really useful to house, frankly, running a message stone, you know, a sending stone. Right. And so if you don't have the mark, well, they have no reason necessarily to keep you around the house. So, you know, you're a great person to send off as an envoy or an explorer or things like that because they don't need you at a sending stone. Right. Um, and so, again, even if you don't start with the mark, you could still come up with a character where you want to say, well, I'm thrash. I'm a thrash inquisitive. I don't have the mark of finding, but you know, I'm still part of the house. Or like you said, you know, or not like you said, I mean, like we were saying, you could be an envoy, you could be a recruiter, you could be searching for foundlings, you know, you could be whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to have the mark for that to happen and for you to have that connection to a powerful force within the world. Right. Right. Indeed. I mean, another completely weird going back to concepts and such. Also, I just have some weird character concept I like, or, you know, I want to be a weird race or something like that. You could say you're a Vidalis experiment, (laughs) you know, Uh, you're a one-off. They made a a Goliath and, you know, my character isn't exactly a Goliath. You know, I'm not like racially, but I'm like a huge hulking monster. And it's because I'm a Vidalis sort of Frankenstein, (laughs) you know, or something like that. I, you know, that that reminds me of the uh, in three five and in, in races of the dragon there were the uh, the spell scales for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which were sort of a if you take the sorcerer concept having sort of dragon blood or maybe being touched by you know the prophecy whatever it might be, and here's somebody who actually physically manifests um, you know dragon like mm-hmm, properties mm-hmm. right, um, I, I you know that that could be a, an interesting way of bringing and, in a weird race as well. Yeah, and this is my thing is I'm. A big fan of rescanning things, of saying, mm-hmm. okay, take the mechanical concept, but you can change around the flavor. And so, like I said, saying, I want to play a Goliath, but Goliaths don't really have an established place in Eberron. Well, you could make up a place for Goliaths, or you could say, no, I'm like a unique thing. I am this, this crazy, uh, you know, half trollish thing that Vidalis created. 
And, you know, I broke away from them. And now the question is, are they trying to get me back? Have they forgotten about me? You know, but like now my character has this unique role in the world. Right. Right. Um, and so whether it's a race, whether it's a particular interpretation of a class, the reason I had sorcerer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just as, as we said earlier, you know, I can say that the reason I'm a storm sorcerer is because it's I have this amazing connection to the mark of storm that just most people never have. Right. Uh, and so I have sorcerer powers that, uh, you know, class can can mean different things. It doesn't have to be every sorcerer is sort of gets their powers the same way. Right. Tr different trappings and such. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't know that there's much else to touch on with Dragon Marks and, and Dragon Mark Houses. Yeah. It's broad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think, you know, just summing up what we said, the really important things to me are, as a character, really think about what it means to you, both mm -hmm. uh, socially, both from your background, but also, again, that... It's to me this whole concept of, of if I have the mark of detection, I do just have this sort of awareness of things that other people don't have. If I have the mark of making, I just understand how things go together, you know, just sort of more innately than other people. Right. And, you know, it is that idea that it's not just that you have the ability to mend once per day. It's that you are just sort of, it's, it's a very exaggerated version of, you know, the idea of the Zodiac is that because I am marked, you know, I'm essentially marked by making, you know, this is a thing that I have a natural talent for. One person was asking online about, well, since they really have to worry about mixed marks, you know, houses bringing new people, outsiders into the house, aren't they really worried about, you know, uh, Kenneth, we've said they'll occasionally recruit. Like if you're a really good artificer, they may try to marry you into the house because, well, they'd like to get you working for them. Right. Um, and Plus someone, adding more to the gene pool, right? Absolutely. Right. And someone was saying, oh, wouldn't they be worried? That person might have, you know, the mark of uh, passage or something like that or connection to Orion. And I'm like, well, they could. But the mere fact that you are a really incredible artificer means that if you have the mark of anything, it probably already is making because yeah. that's potentially why you're a really incredible artificer, right. you know? So, uh, anyhow. All right. Well, well, I that's, think that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, why hasn't uh, anybody invented uh, DNA testing in Ebron yet? <laughs> well, what we've said is that, you know, it is likely that Jurasco and Vidalis do do some tests. True. And at the very least, I think they would have something, you know, basically anyone marrying a house, they're really, they are going to test you in whatever way is available to them. I think at the very least, they would have something very similar to augury that would simply be a, is this match favorable? Mm, and, you point. know, that they'd have a quick something that would basically get that, oh, no, no, you know, you're looking at a mixed mark here. And they right. might not be able to know exactly what it was or exactly where it traces back, but I think they would have a, uh, you know, a very simple yes/no sort of test like that that they could do. Yeah. So I think the uh, the last bit I, I would probably offer as advice. I think some people might feel overwhelmed. Uh, James might feel overwhelmed by the idea of doing really complex intrigue, mm -hmm. especially with the dragon marked houses. And to that, I would say, don't be afraid to just shake things up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, often we can easily get caught up in, you know, what does this house do and what do they think of this in particular and, you know, the relationship between this and that's quite honestly, as you say, Keith, it's your Eberron. Yes. Do what you want, you yeah. know, whatever makes sense to you and whatever makes a good story. And two things I would also add on that is the same way that you don't want to try and use every major power group uh, in an Eberron campaign. It's it's often too much to use both the Lords of Dust and the Dreaming Dark and the Dalkir. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with houses. You know, they're all in the world. But for your campaign, you know, pick one or two that are really going to be the focus Right. of what you're doing. You know, if you're dealing with intrigue, don't try and deal with all 12. Deal with with a couple of them and, and delve into that. Um, you know, beyond that, you don't have to deal with the entire house as a giant conglomerate. You can just pick a particular Kenneth Baron who's mm-hmm. going to be the guy you're focusing on and what is that guy doing? And, you know, how does he work with the players? And sure, through him, they're developing a connection to the house, but we're really looking at what he's doing locally in working right. with you. You know, as, so as you an can, individual. Yeah. So you can look right. at it really big, or you can just say, this is a source of rich, powerful people who have things they want done. Right. Um, and similarly, who have access to things other people might not. Do a job for Kenneth, and they might be able to give you a magic item you can't get anywhere else. Do a job for Jurasco, and great, you could have free healing anytime you need. And, you know, I mean, think of rewards they can offer players that, you know, go through the, the Kenneth dungeon, and it's not that you're going to get treasure in that dungeon, but you may get a cool reward from them that you couldn't find in a tomb somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Scott, do you have any uh, last minute thoughts? No, I think that we, we've pretty much covered it. Yeah. Just you got to embrace them and think outside the box with them. Think if you think modern, you'll, you'll definitely play fantasy. True. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that wraps it up then. Thank you all for listening and, uh, join us next month. Uh, do, I don't know that we've picked a topic yet. Oh, for next we month. haven't picked a topic yet. Ooh, so, no. you know, everyone out there, this is your chance. Make your, well, we, we, uh, well, we did talk about the draconic prophecy. Do we want to make that our next, um, episode or do we, do we want to see what other ideas might come in? I think that's a, I think it's a really strong option. So, so I'm saying I don't, I don't want to commit just yet. I want to think about it for a couple of days, but I think that's definitely uh, top of the list right now. Sounds good. Excellent. All right. So uh, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to the show. You can post comments on an episode. Uh, you can also find links to our Google Plus, Twitter, and Facebook stuff. Uh, whatever option you prefer, let us know what you think of the show. And uh, until next time, keep exploring.